Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'm McIntosan from Rima and Bronstein. Um, I am one of the co-chairs of the BBA bankruptcy section with Christian Devine. Um, I wanted to welcome everyone and say thank you for logging in to today's uh, Bench Mitzvah webinar. From the bankruptcy court, we have three of the bankruptcy judges with us today. We have uh, Chief Judge Panos, uh, Judge Bailey, uh, and Judge Boswick. Uh, Molly Sharon, the clerk of the bankruptcy court, is also here with us today. Um, with me from the bankruptcy section, um, we have Christine Devine, the outgoing uh, co-chair, Kate Cookshank, who is the incoming um, co-chair of the bankruptcy section, and also Don Lastman um, as the chair of the newest COVID-19 response um, standing committee. Now, as part of today's program, as already mentioned, the judge will address some selected questions we received so far from some of you. Um, the judges are also willing to consider some additional live questions if we have time by using the Q&A feature during the webinar. So we invite you all to use the Zoom um, Q&A function, not the chat feature, uh, for any of your questions um, that you may have. Um, of course, uh, the judges may not be able to answer all of them, as you can all understand, but please send your questions um, if you have any. So before I leave off, before we begin, has already announced all lines are muted for participants, uh, but feel free to mute your own phone um, just in case, please. Uh, with that, I'm going to uh, mute my own line, and it is all yours, Judge Panos. Thank you very much, Mac, and uh, we appreciate the opportunity to uh, to participate in this webinar. We're sorry that we're not all together. Um, we've had a long, rich history of bench uh, meets bar conferences. Really, um, you know, the relationship between the bankruptcy court and the Boston Bar Association's Bankruptcy Law First Committee, uh, now section. Um, has been uh, long and uh, well-established and is a model for bench bar uh, interaction throughout the Commonwealth and even uh, in the country. Uh, and I think it, it allows us to function uh, as a court uh, much more efficiently and, uh, and interactively. It also allows us to cooperate on lawyer disbarments and other uh, pro bono efforts. And so uh, we very much appreciate the opportunity to be here um, we're glad that we're doing this so that we don't miss a year of this great tradition. Um, and so thank you to the, to the BBA and the Bankruptcy Law Section for, uh, for having us and doing this by webinar. Uh, I also want to take the opportunity um, to thank um, the judges of this district who, you know, we, we meet uh, often multiple times during the week uh, during this pandemic to discuss the delivery of justice, the operation of the courts, the safety of uh, the court's staff, uh, and the safety of the bar and the rights of the, uh, of the litigants. It's very important to each of the judges, um, and I'm very fortunate to have such a collegial group of judges who offer such great input, um, who get information from uh, all over the country from various sources and bring it to the table. Uh, and so it has been a pleasure to do that. And I also should mention uh, both Molly Sharon and Ann Fox, who is our new uh, deputy clerk, um, who have been uh, doing yeoman's work during this pandemic. Not only are they performing their normal duties to make sure that the court 
um, operates efficiently, um, but they are doing all of the extras, coordinating, uh, working with our IT department to make sure that the court can function. Um, and, you know, every small rules issue that comes up. Um, so they've really been doing a lot of work and have been extremely helpful uh, to us and ser have served our district uh, really admirably during this, during this time, um, as have the rest of the court personnel. Um, you know, we are set up um, as part of our emergency plan to operate remotely all of our employees from case administrators to judges. And so we were fortunate in that technologically when the word came that we really needed to work remotely and starting, started phasing out of the courthouse, um, it was very much seamless for the court. Um, we had a lot of support from our IT group, which is a fantastic group. And um, we were able to do that. And so um, we're able to monitor productivity for case administrators, and the uh, the response was really quite remarkable. I think Molly would tell you that um, it was it was really seamless. It went well. We didn't have technological issues, uh, and so everybody at the court, from our uh, our intake clerk um, right up through the case administrators, the IT group to chambers to the judges, um, you know, have really performed at a high level to ensure that the court continued its operations during this time and kept advancing cases. Uh, finally, I should also acknowledge um, the great work of the bar during this uh, unique period in our history. Um, the lawyers have been uh, courteous to each other, uh, giving uh, extensions where appropriate, um, advancing cases where necessary, um, adapting to telephonic hearings, making real efforts to coordinate um, and make sure that those things go smoothly. And so, you know, we certainly appreciate that. Um, it, uh, it has allowed the system to continue to work. Uh, you all know we are open. We are open 24 hours a day. We are handling emergency filings. Um, we are conducting hearings. I think the only hearings that have been postponed throughout this pandemic have been um, evidentiary hearings that require live testimony. Um, the, the judges of the court have been offering in, in the, the right circumstances, uh, video evidentiary hearings. And in fact, if, um, if the circumstances warranted an in-person evidentiary hearing, uh, we have courtrooms available to do that. Fortunately, we have not been in a position to do that yet. Um, and, and so, um, we've, we've been able to keep moving along, um, you know, without rescheduling a lot of hearings and, um, and addressing motions, you know, the day-to-day -day motions of the court are being addressed with the same speed pretty much as they were before the pandemic. Um, and so the, the issue for us, um, obviously, as with the rest of the world, is considering uh, re-entry and what that looks like and, you know, what, what are we um, needing to do uh, in a way to deliver services to our constituency that we're not doing. And, you know, the priority, obviously, is uh, trials. And so both for, you know, the scheduling of trials and for you know, other court operations, we are considering our re-entry plan and, you know, what 
decision points go into that reentry plan. So we're meeting monthly, monthly, weekly as, as a court, and we are um, looking at all the public health data. We're looking at what other courts are doing, both the state courts in Massachusetts and other federal courts uh, around the country. Uh, and you know, looking at their plans, we clearly um, don't have any intention to just flick a switch. Um, I think that's a commonly repeated phrase, and the circumstances you know, just don't warrant that. I think the approach is going to be that um, we're going to identify the services that we need to provide by being in person and figure out how to make those work at the appropriate time and then gradually phase in so that we don't expose uh, the public, you know, the bar, um, our employees to risks that aren't necessary. And so that's a balancing of the situation on the ground with respect to the, the uh, public health issues with how well we're doing with our telephonic hearings, with moving motions along, and technologically our ability to operate remotely from the court. There are people who are at the courthouses every day, um, but we are minimizing um, our physical presence at the courthouses and don't have a schedule at this point for um, you know, reopening to the public or having um, motion sessions. We have some targets in mind for um, evidentiary hearings depending on the circumstances on the ground and our ability to operate within our buildings and, uh, and operate safely. Um, We've established a committee at the court um, that has representatives from, um, from the managers of our case administrators uh, to the courtroom deputies, uh, to the judges and the IT group and human resources. Uh, we've also invited a representative of the United States Trustees Office and uh, three members of the bar from across the state to participate and inform the committee of um, unique concerns that the bar may have. And so um, we'll be announcing the members of that committee. And if you have any specific unique concerns, you can reach out to the uh, lawyers that will be reporting to the committee on the bar concerns. Um, and you can articulate your concerns for consideration. Um, you know, we're, uh, we are assessing all of the factors that go into those decisions, you know, such as you know, many of the, uh, the lawyers and the uh, public and our employees uh, that are necessary to conduct in-person operations and hearings uh, travel to Boston on public transportation. And obviously there's a risk associated with that. And um, so we're trying to consider all of those factors and again, balance out the need for um, in-person hearings or other in-person operations against the perceived risks. And we're never gonna get be perfect, um, but I can promise you that we're spending hours and hours um, assessing the various risks, using the resources that are available to us um, and making those determinations. And um, when, when we make determinations, obviously we'll be um, making those public through uh, our website and possibly through the ECF system. Um, We've, we've observed in the last month or so um, that case filings, as you might expect, have uh, dramatically decreased. So um, our filings in the month of April 
were 50% of each of the, the amount of filings in March and February. Um, that's understandable given the relief that's been provided by the legislature um, and the uncertainty of the future that have made um, businesses and individuals kind of hold back and, uh, and wait to see what's going to happen. Um, the administrative office of the courts has economists on its staff and they have been speaking, uh, you know, and looking into their crystal balls and, you know, for what it's worth, they're indicating that it could be that the court's caseload will double uh, next year uh, because of uh, filings. And the projection is that we will start to see that in the fall in the form of small business filings and larger business filings. And then in 2021, we'll start to see the consumer filings as um, the relief that has been afforded by the legislatures in the various states and uh, and by the federal government uh, begins to, to time out. Now that could be extended and that could delay those filings, but um, we're in a position now where we are anticipating uh, being very busy in the future. We, we also are aware that as trials get pushed off, we start to back, have a backlog of trials. And so um, we are very conscious of the fact that we don't want a situation where we have this huge backlog of trials at the same time we're trying to deal with a doubling of caseload. And so we are doing what we can to project that out and um, devise plans. You know, right now, because of the public health issues, we haven't really been able to take concrete steps, um, but we've considered a lot and we'll talk about some of those during this program. So that's all I have uh, for now. And, um, you know, perhaps we can, uh, move on and uh, maybe talk a little bit um, of uh, about the some of the new standing orders that we've adopted uh, to address both COVID and, and other uh, developments. Uh, Molly, would you like to, uh, to describe those? Uh, sure, Judge. Thank you very much. Um, thanks everyone for having me today. Uh, I'm certainly happy to report that everyone at the court is doing well and, and working well from home. I'm very proud and grateful for the great job that everyone's doing so seamlessly. Um, as Judge uh, Panos explained, uh, while our offices might not be open to the public, we are certainly open and available and happy to assist everyone when and wherever possible. Um, we have staff going into the office every day and we've been able to help folks out by even going out to the curb and, and delivering documents uh, when needed. Uh, I understand that some people have had a little bit of difficulty reaching uh, this, some staff. I encourage anyone who has any difficulties in that regard to simply call the main number. We have someone who's dedicated to uh, answering that. Um, I would also um, ask that, uh, or encourage people to simply email me if you're having problems. Uh, I can be reached at Mary underscore Sharon at mab.uscourts.gov. Um, and as Judge Panos explained, we do have a new chief deputy at the clerk, or, I'm sorry, at the court, that's Ann Fox, who is a long time, was a long time career law clerk for Judges Feeney and Hoffman. And she's doing an incredible job taking over uh, at a very difficult time. Um, I want to encourage anybody who has uh, not had the opportunity to take a look at our website. We have a COVID page 
where we have uh, put together uh, information uh, about uh, participating with the court during this time. We have, for example, uh, practices for attending telephonic hearings. We have a message from Chief Judge Panos, uh, and we also have a list of uh, the standing orders that we've issued related to the pandemic. I would also encourage you to take a look at the website for the uscourts.gov if you want information about what's going on uh, nationwide. Uh, with respect to standing orders, uh, since the beginning of the year, we've issued several. Uh, we have three that are related to the SBRA, two of which adopt the interim federal rules, and one of them which tweaks our local rules to make sure that our local rules comport with the interim federal rules. Uh, we certainly thank the subcommittee of the Local Rules Committee that worked on this project. Uh, those folks were uh, Nina Parker, Lennox Saris, Adam Ruttenberg, Christine Devine, Justin Kesselman, Kate Cruikshank, and John Fitzgerald from the U.S. Trustee's Office. Uh, we certainly appreciate the time and, and quick turnaround on that. Uh, this year, we've also issued a standing order and amended it to give guidance on wet signatures. Um, we issued another order and amended it several times uh, to assist pro se parties on how to access the court and file pleadings. Uh, and we understand that that that's, has gone uh, fairly well. We, as many of you know, issued an order relating to the deadlines for 341 meetings. Uh, that actually took a lot of work behind the scenes, and I'm quite grateful to the staff here for that, and also to Bill Harrington, John Fitzgerald, and Rich King for the work they put into the issue. And let's see, for those of you who are incredulous to know that I carried a beeper, uh, I'm pleased to report that we issued a standing order that has uh, information regarding a telephone number for emergency hearings, and uh, I no longer carry a beeper. My family's quite grateful. And so I think that is the list of standing orders that the court has issued this year. Um, thank you again for uh, having me today and thanks to all of you who have provided us with suggestions and support during this time. And I wish you and your families continued health and safety. Thank you, Judge. Thank you. Judge Boswick, would you wanna to speak uh, to the court's experience with uh, telephonic hearings? Um, sure, thank you, Judge Panos. Um, and thanks to the BBA um, for continuing this tradition. Uh, this is my first time on this side of the bench, um, but I've been a long time um, member of the BBA and participant in this function in many other ways. Um, and so I welcome the opportunity to continue it. Um, so as Judge Piano said, you know, it, our work continues and our hearings go forward. Um, things are in some ways new, in some ways the same, and in some ways there are similar pieces but maybe a little bit different process. So, and, and many of you have already had the opportunity to participate in telephonic hearings, some more than others. Um, and so sometimes here, sometimes in other jurisdiction, um, what's the same in, in Massachusetts? Um, in many ways, it's the same as the hearings in a courtroom. Our judges are all um, very accomplished. I am grateful to join such a great bench, um, but that means they've all read the materials. They come into the hearings prepared, whether it's sitting at our dining room tables 
or sitting in the courtroom. Um, so you have confidence that they've already heard your arguments in some respects. Um, what are they expecting of you? The same as you always bring to the table, which is that you come in prepared, that you have your materials, that you be on time. I mean, we recognize that there are sometimes adjustments that need to be made, but for the most part, I think the attorneys are um, proceeding the same professional manner they have been. What about the hearings? They're telephonic. Yes, but they are public to all. Um, as, as Judge Panos indicated, we're, we're open. We're public hearings and our numbers are put on the website um, in terms of how parties can participate. Um, and we still continue with the regular due process. We issue hearing notices. We want to remind people of the need to notice those hearings, file their certificates of service, um, and moving forward. So what's different? Um, what's different is uh, obviously we're all telephonic. Occasionally, we in the past we've had telephonic hearings, but we're sitting in the in um, the courtroom, and maybe one person is, or maybe both parties are. Um, that is different. That requires a little bit different technology from our staff. Um, it requires different coordination, and we are very fortunate that our clerk staff, uh, um, with Molly leading it, has done a great job of getting our staff up to speed to do that. Um, when you're dealing with telephonic hearings, what's different? I think it's different on both sides of the bench. You know, your cues are not the same. When, when I have people before me, um, they can take cues from, from our visual. Um, I might start leaning forward. They can, it, that's very different. By the same token, um, so you need to give some consideration to other cues. Um, give more time for those cues. Um, give more time for interjecting. Um, yes, the hearings are public, um, but in the normal course of events, anybody can walk into the courtroom. Anybody can walk in and sit down. Well, as I said, our technology is a little different. So we need to make sure that because our reporters can't see who exactly is speaking, we need to identify the speakers. So that means we're looking for folks um, including non-participants are welcome and on the line, but we're gonna typically ask that they identify their name just so that if they do happen to speak. Um, we do remind parties, I've had, I've had a number of clients that have participated on the phone. And I think perhaps it may be more, or it may also be that I notice them more because I'm aware of their names being announced on the record. They certainly are welcome, but as, as we've advised lawyers repeatedly, we need to remind them um, that they not speak and listen only. Um, can, can, I, can I ask yes. a question, Judge? Sure, sure Judge Bailey. Do, do you uh, sense that or have a feeling that, the, that you run the hearing differently or say things that uh, might be different uh, because you know that one of our lawyers uh, clients is present is that 
And I guess I would ask Judge Panos as well. I think you try and be conscious of it. It's not that you're going to rule differently. I know I've been the beneficiary when I was a practitioner of um, my perception was the judge knew that um, my client was in the courtroom. Um, and obviously, um, you still have to make the hard decisions. I notice it particularly more often with, uh, it, it, you know, in some respects, it's similar to when you're dealing with a pro se. Um, you make a judgment call as to how folks are going to react. Um, you might uh, um, defer a ruling um, and issue it separately by writing. Um, and you, I also try to remember that the lawyers are also speaking to the clients. And sometimes that's, that's one place where the telephonic is hard because you don't, you, the lawyer needs to speak their piece, but at the same time, it's very hard to keep it moving. But Judge Panos, what's your thoughts? Uh, I think the analogy to uh, um, being educated through our interactions with pro se's is good in a sense that if a client is sitting in the courtroom and I'm aware of that, I'm probably less likely to cut off an argument and ask a follow-up question. I'm more likely to give the lawyer just a little more runway so they can, you know, if the lawyer were alone in the courtroom, the, the lawyer wouldn't feel that, that they were getting uh, short shrift on their arguments because they understand that I understand where the argument's going and I'm just kind of anticipating and moving the, uh, the argument to where it's really um, important. But clients might feel, you know, the judge never even gave you a chance to talk. And when dealing with a pro se, you know, I'm much more willing to sit there and kind of let them flush out their arguments. And, and I think, you know, just out of a courtesy to lawyers when their client is in the courtroom, um, I have the same approach that you're just, you know, just give them a little bit more time, a little more leeway. Maybe you're, you don't use as much shorthand and you explain things for the benefit of their client as you're going along. I think that's just kind of probably the way most judges handle it. Judge Bailey, what about you? Uh, pretty much everything that you've said. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm aware that uh, if someone's client is present, uh, that um, things that I say, you know, could be inflated, you know, by the client um, in relation to the lawyer. I know that there's a, a client-lawyer relationship, you know, at issue there. Um, and, but that's not to say that sometimes when I know the clients in the room uh, that I might say things that um, are, are, are intended to get to the client. Um, whether that's helpful to the lawyer or not, I don't know, but, uh, some, but I am aware of, uh, of that uh, possibility. So uh, I, I was always, I always felt kind of nervous, you know, if I had my client um, in the courtroom or on a hearing. And since we're seeing that more often now with telephonic, you know, I, I, I'm aware of those issues. The one thing I will say, and I, I do encourage, I, I think I am conscious when I direct a question to a lawyer and the client is on the phone, that it's not the same as how a lawyer can consult with them in the courtroom. In the courtroom, they can, especially when clients are in a different location calling in. Um, and so I try and be mindful of that as well. 
that it isn't easy for you to just lean over and whisper to your client, what do you think about this? And then um, modify the answer or, or be able to filter the answer as you think appropriate. Um, and so I am very conscious when the client is on the line not to ask the lawyer something or try not to ask the lawyer something that will force that question if it, it's something I don't think they've already discussed with the client. Um, and certainly for any lawyer who's um, listening in, if you feel that that occurs, I certainly am one of those to say, judge, I can't talk to my client now, but can you give us a brief recess? Um, um, you know, especially when we have multiple hearings going on, you may be able to jump. It's a lot harder than breaking and going out into the court, into the um, lobby to ask the questions. But I, I think that we all adapt. Um, yeah, I, and I so, think I've even, yeah. go ahead, Ms. Bailey. So, it's interesting that you reminded me that just recently I had a hearing where um, a lawyer had his client present and I asked the lawyer a question that he couldn't answer and he acknowledged that his client could. And, but obviously he couldn't whisper to the client to clear it first. And another lawyer on the, on the hearing said, well, his client's here, let's just hear from him. And, uh, Fortunately, I didn't get stuck on that because I think it was uh, the lawyer for the U.S. trustee stepped up and said, well, I don't think that would be very fair. Um, and so and I and I jumped on that. I said, yes, that's 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 not fair. Um, it puts the lawyer in an awkward position. But be aware that, you know, these kinds of things could happen. You know, if you if you bring a client to a hearing and warn them in advance um, that, you know, they they, it may appear awkward, you know, if they don't answer a question that the judge has, if they seem to have the information. And I think that I've had the experience where a lawyer has said to me in a telephonic hearing, uh, just a moment, judge, I'm texting my client to try and get that answer. And so there's a brief pause while someone taps out a text and, you know, the lawyers and clients are at least communicating, but sometimes the lawyer can't pay attention to the hearing and doing that at the same time. And so I found it to be seamless to just take a moment to allow them to text and then they got the information. Right. It, that, it, that's true. I mean, whether it's a, it, whether it's jump off the line or just mute your phone and judge call us back in five minutes, um, I certainly would, would um, welcome that opportunity. And I agree. I'm, I'm one who doesn't believe you can necessarily multitask um, try and keep track. And so I would, you know, again, whatever format I do try and encourage, I would encourage the lawyers to um, let us know if they need to consult with their client. And as Judge Pano said, I mean, among our staff, because we're all remote, I mean, we're used to having our staff right in front of us if I have to ask my courtroom deputy a question um, that it may not be. I lean over and ask. Um, we've set up internal chats so that we're ready to, to address issues that, that may not be appropriate for the record, scheduling or the like, or, or, or when we're ready to go. So we'd encourage lawyers to do, set up their um, opportunities with their clients in the same way um, in advance of the hearing. Um, so, and as Judge Piano said, to be able to prepare your client for that. Um, 
so that's along the lines of my next category, which is things that in some ways are the same, but they're really getting across in, in, in slightly different changes and formats. Dealing with your clients is one. Dealing with other lawyers is another one. We do encourage you, um, and I think some of the judges have it in their hearing notices, and some of the rest of us are thinking of adding it to it. We encourage you to do what you would do in the courtroom, which is before you walk into the courtroom, a lot of times you stand in the lobby, catch up with the other side, it may be the first time. And sometimes there is a benefit to having an in-person hearing for that reason. Uh, but there's no reason you can't do that outside the courtroom. It's certainly, it, it, if you cannot reach an agreement, we're always there to render our decisions. But certainly you will um, incur in, um, enable a quicker result, enable perhaps more streamlined issues if you're able to talk with your counterparts. So we do continue to encourage that. We still have multiple hearings, and particularly this, is, this, this happens in Boston. You know, and um, when we were really busy, we were all on for, um, uh, it, uh, we might all have hearings on the same day. Um, we, particularly the judges in Boston, have worked to coordinate, for example, with the Chapter 13 schedule. Um, chapter 13s, we used to have, I think, only an hour overlap, and, and the parties would know they could move before between courtrooms. We recognize that doesn't happen as easily on a telephone conference call. Um, and so um, we've spaced them out a little more. What I've found on my end is, is sort of the reverse for my own schedule. Um, at one point, we were scheduling them out a little bit more to make sure we weren't running into things. Um, but by the same token, um, it seems to move smoother, both for all our staff and hearings to have them perhaps a little more collapse. So you may have to wait a little bit longer on the call. Um, but that reminds me, Molly, and I think some of them, so, you know, it, when you had the chapter 13 session, when we had our hearings, we would post them outside the door. Um, I think Molly, the clerk's office still does have a posting of hearings. We do, Judge, and we actually post in two different ways. Uh, ECF filers can go ahead and see the hearing list uh, through ECF, but the, probably the better way to go, and we actually have put a reminder of this on our COVID page, is for folks to just go to the quick links on our, uh, the front page of our website. Uh, that list is actually the, the order that, that list will always be the order in which hearings are going to be heard. So that's the better way to go. But those, we continue to use that. It's, it gives you today's hearings and tomorrow's hearings. If you need uh, hearing lists a little bit more in advance, draft ones are the ones that you would see through ECF. And so, you know, so much in the same way that you come to court, look on the calendar outside to see where you are on the list, you can go. Um, to the website, go to ECF. I could, um, however, we encourage you to still be on time for your hearings. Um, we sometimes go out of order. We sometimes move faster or slower, depending on what it is. It's at least that, you know, you have a little bit more flexibility. One of the things we still do is record. We record the hearings. Um, we've changed our technology a little bit because we are remote. And so, Molly, do we have the ability 
um, to do transcripts, um, hearings. So you're right, Judge. We did have to move to, we actually are using AT&T for our recording where we had an in-house product before. So during this pandemic and telephonic hearings, when we use AT&T, we have to use them for the recording and some of the transcripts. So that's actually why we're not able to put the recordings on the dockets anymore because what we receive through AT&T is the recording of the entire period of time that the judge is on the bench and it's difficult to be able to parse those out to be able to put them on the docket. That said, transcripts are still available, judges are still ordering them, parties are still ordering them, and you go through the same procedures that you normally would, and those are posted on our website. So in some ways, it's, it's a different process. It's in mind, for those of, who listen to the hearings, um, that might not be as convenient, but it's still a resource that's available. Um, the other thing you might encounter, and, and in fact, I had this happen in one of my hearings. So for those of you who need, you know, you come to the hearing, you're getting your order to sell, your order um, in REM, your order to avoid a lien. Um, you need something to be certified so you can put it on the registry. Uh, the court is still open. Molly, are folks still able to get certified copies? They absolutely are, Judge, um, and, and actually that was the reference that I made earlier to, to going out on the curb. We do curbside delivery um, for certified orders. Um, I would let folks know that if you, there's a, under the bankruptcy information tab on the website, down at the bottom, um, there's information about requesting a certified copy of a case document. And you can do that through ECF. We've had that for a little bit now. Uh, but if somebody needs something on an emergency basis, again, there's somebody in each one of our offices every day. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have an envelope going out um, right after this program uh, with a certified copy in it. Um, and you know, give us a call, do it through ECF, but we're happy to try and accommodate those requests. And I will say this, this is another way where it's different. If you anticipate you need it very quickly, I mean, we, we try to discourage Molly going out to, to hand things off to a car, but we can do it if we have to. Um, but if you need things, let us know before the hearing um, for two respects. One, the, the judges to be able to, you know, your order might require some refinements, um, but also to get it to you. Um, I know we've been talking for a bit, so let me just um, skip ahead and um, focus on best practices, advice we have for telephonic hearings. Um, the one rule I'd suggest is to remember that less is more. Um, it, in many ways, as I said, it, it's harder because your cues aren't there to know when. I find that folks may tend to ramble I find it even among myself, with myself, you know, you don't have somebody to visually cue you. And so you may be more inclined to keep talking. As I pointed out, remember, we've all read your materials. Hit the high notes. Don't worry so much about giving your full-blown argument. Space it out. Take breaths. It's harder for me to one of the harder things I find is figuring out when to interject. Uh, I am mindful if you have a client there that your client wants to make sure it's known. Um, and 
that's part of helping your clients understand, educate them and say, look, the, the judges are, have, are very thorough. They've read the materials. We'll give you a little more runway, but it, it really is helpful if you say, judge, I put everything in my brief. I've got these three points to make and then take a breath. So that's, that's my biggest tip. Judge Bailey, what, what do you, what you suggest is one of the best tips for um, telephonic hearings? Well, um, to be <clears throat> aware that um, in that in the in the electronic uh, in the telephonic hearing format, um, you have to let a couple seconds go by in between when you speak and when someone else is going to speak because uh, it's necessary to have um, to to have that lag. Um, don't talk over people uh, because um, that's the that's it's it's inappropriate anyway. But it's it's problematic. It's the problems with it are accentuated in the telephonic format. And finally, I I don't know about the other I don't know about the lawyers uh, or attendees and or or the judges, but I personally find telephonic hearings exhausting. I, I think that I think they're more they tend to be somewhat more intense in the courtroom. Part of that is there's not the standing up and moving to the microphone and uh, <clears throat> you know so you don't have the natural few second breaks in between things. so it comes at you you know very, very quickly. Um, and I guess I'll add this uh, you know I like to talk to Mary, um, but I usually like to whisper to Mary. I can't do that now. And although we do open up a, a chat uh, in the background, you know, I, I, I sometimes need things more quickly than that. And so uh, I'm saying things, you know, to, uh, to her and to staff that um, I wouldn't normally say out loud. So, uh, so my, my biggest tip is uh, put a little break between when you finish and, 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 and then when you start, you know, so that, uh, and, and, and don't interrupt people. All right. And Judge Panos. So uh, I agree with everything that's been said. And so I'll focus on a couple of uh, very practical tips. Um, often when you're seeing an argument in a courtroom, um, and we know this as lawyers, uh, when one counsel doesn't agree with the other counsel and thinks they're exaggerating or um, <coughs> taking a position that is patently absurd, you see some eye rolling or some kind of looking away or whatever. And you would think that that wouldn't happen on the telephone, but you each have to remember that unless you've muted your line, you're holding a microphone an inch from your mouth. So when you say something or mutter something or, or gasp or breathe, sometimes that comes across on the telephone. So, um, you know, just be aware that that's going to make it, you know, and, and it's amplified in a way that, that doesn't happen in a courtroom. And so, you know, you can get into the practice of muting yourself or just being a little more careful um, with the way that you're reacting um, instead of uh, visually, audibly uh, to someone else's argument, because every once in a while, there's something on the record that, uh, that comes through. Uh, the other thing that, that I would encourage, um, and, and I'm going to I'm thinking about putting this in my scheduling notices that um, I'm, I invite lawyers who have narrowed the issues before a hearing 
uh, or settle the issues. And you know, they're, they're, they come on to a hearing where there are four or five matters and they've waited their turn. They didn't have an opportunity to confer with the courtroom deputy when she was lining up the call or in court normally they might say something like we've settled or whatever. Um, during the time when you're asked to introduce yourself on the record, is perfectly appropriate to say, I'm so-and-so, and Your Honor, I just want you to know that we've narrowed the issues. And we go through the introductions, and my first question is, okay, what did you want to say? Sometimes you run the risk, if you don't do that, that the judge just kind of takes off with the hearing and starts uh, talking about how we should address it or, or whatever. So um, feel free, at least in my courtroom, uh, or virtually in my courtroom, um, to when you uh, announce yourself for the record, to just indicate that you'd like to, um, to tell me something about narrowing the issues or resolving the issues before we get into the hearing. Thanks. Um, I, I agree with everything you both said as well. Um, I know that as Molly alluded to, we have a COVID-19. There are best practices for telephonic hearings on there. Some of them sound really basic and, um, you know, but it's a good reminder. We're all doing a lot more telephonic and video, and we all have those occasional glitches. You know, the, the, in, in the courtroom, I usually have somebody remind me to turn off my watch before I walk in. Well, I forgot that. And my hearing, you know, it's ringing in the background when I'm speaking. Um, we do, we've all seen those videos where children or animals walk through the background. I recognize that, that you may have limited control, but um, certainly you can put yourself in the best place for your hearings. Um, I simply would add one more thing. Um, I, you know, I think as Judge Cano saluted, we've, we've been um, very appreciative of the efforts of the bar as well as the bench in trying to, in making this work. Um, people are far more pragmatic and we are as well. You know, we know that's not, um, things happen. Um, people, you know, there are other pressures we're not aware of. We certainly encourage you to make sure you attend your hearings and the like, but occasionally issues arrive. If you're on the phone and you're in charge of that six month old infant who suddenly decides right in the middle of your argument to wail, we, we understand that. Um, but, um, and if glitches are issues, we have a Cracker Jack staff. Um, if you're, you're running, let us know. Um, judge, something came up today. I absolutely can't make it. What can we do? Um, and we will do our best to try and accommodate because we too are all living through different times and we recognize that there are things beyond your control. Um, and so that's the wave of now, and I'll turn it back. Um, Judge Panos, I think we're going to talk a little bit about up and coming. Yeah, and before we ask Judge Bailey to address that, I just wanted to let you know that um, I've been informed that Judges Feeney, Boroff, and Rosenthal, all retired, are uh, watching this webinar, and uh, we always appreciate the participation of our former colleagues and, uh, and are glad to have them on board. Judge uh, Judge Bailey, what do we look for uh, going forward? Well, uh, thank you, uh, Judge Pano. The, the, uh, first, I, I want to say, um, I want to thank the uh, BBA uh, for all of the 
assistance that he gives to the bench uh, in our district. And I'll point out this year, this summer, uh, I have um, the intern that has been, um, uh, is being supported by the BBA. Uh, and uh, although his internship looks like it's turned into a virtual one, at least for the beginning, um, the, uh, the, the BBA diversity internship program uh, has made something uh, very important possible, uh, you know, for him. Um, and, you know, if, if, you've, if you have interns uh, coming this summer, keep them coming. Uh, they, these young folks need, uh, they need to have this experience and it's important to continue with it. I, I also preliminarily want to say that I am uh, just so delighted to have Janet Boswick um, working up the hall from me. Um, we've been friends uh, for 35 plus years when we were in kindergarten in upstate New York. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it really is uh, wonderful to have her as a colleague um, uh, working, working with us now uh, in the court. Um, and uh, uh, finally, uh, I am going to talk about what's coming next. You know, we spent countless hours winding down, um, going remote, and now we're going to spend countless hours winding back up um, and, uh, and coming to some uh, way of holding evidentiary hearings um, in, the new, in the new reality uh, of uh, what's going to be 20, end of 2020 and, and 2021. So... Um, what, what I want to talk about are uh, guidelines for trials. The, the one thing that we haven't been able to do, um, even though we've been open, uh, is to figure our way uh, clear to having uh, contested evidentiary hearings. Um, I, I've asked uh, counsel if they're willing to do evidentiary hearings in this format, in a, in a video conference format, uh, and uh, I my view so far has been that I'm not going to require anybody to do that. Um, if it goes on too much longer, um, we may need to morph to that. Um, so uh, as uh, I don't want to repeat what uh, Judge Pano said to begin with, but you know, we, I, I expect us to get very, very busy soon. And uh, we better not have a, a backlog of trials that we have had to postpone uh, when that happens. Um, Judge Bailey. I, I found it interesting that the survey result um, for the question, would you consider voluntarily participating in a trial on a video platform, almost 70% answered yes. But I, can, I know that our experience, and it just might be because of when we asked. Um, you know, no one has taken us up yet on a video trial, but I have the sense that people are just trying to wait it out for these couple of months to be able to see how long they would have to wait for an in-person trial before they said yes. But I think, you know, it was interesting to see that 70% uh, of the lawyers that responded to this survey um, said that they would consider it. Well, you know, I, <clears throat> some of you might remember Paul Galvani, who was a trial lawyer at Ropes and Gray, and I had the good fortune to try a big case with Paul. And uh, he used to tell me that his saying when he went into state court uh, for a trial setting session was, um, your honor, ready till reached. Um, and <laughs> there's a little bit of that uh, is, is what's going on. Everybody's ready to do this uh, until we say, well, here's your trial date. Um, and then they could use a little more time. So, 
we, we do have a lot of support out there on this issue of, uh, of how to hold uh, uh, trials in, this, in, the, in the new world. Uh, <clears throat> the uh, AO has issued uh, a four-phase uh, process for reopening the courthouses for trials. And, uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with um, looking at your local community and seeing, uh, you know, what, what, what are the number of uh, COVID cases that are being diagnosed, the same kinds of things that, that the governors uh, in the various states are looking at. Um, so uh, there are practical considerations and, and we're, still, we're still working on this. We're trying to figure out how how we can how we can do this i i i think that it's going to be important that we keep the number of people that are in attendance at trials um, as low as possible in order to make sure that there's plenty of room uh, in space between uh, the participants in the trial um, we're going to have to be very careful at assessing the particular vulnerability of someone who might be coming, need to come to trial, either counsel uh, or a witness uh, or an important, you know, a party that's not gonna be a, a witness but still uh, has a big stake in the matter. You know, if someone by, by uh, virtue of age or disability or something, you know, is someone who really can't get this disease, then, you know, we're gonna have to take that uh, into account. We're gonna have to ask those questions and you're gonna have to let us know uh, about that. Uh, one approach that courts are taking around the country and one that I think probably um, is, is one that will make sense for us is to, at the beginning anyway, to perhaps just have lawyers in the courtroom, uh, maybe one lawyer per party, uh, and uh, to uh, have the uh, witnesses uh, attend remotely um, on a, a video uh, format. Uh, now, we, I've done that before. Um, some lawyers in this room right now, I'm sure, um, have tried cases where we've had witnesses appear, usually because they're far away or for one reason or another can't get back, uh, <clears throat> where uh, they'll appear um, telephone or, or uh, on, a, on a video connection. Um, I've done that court to court kind of thing and it's worked out uh, pretty well. Other practical considerations you know, other, some courts, I know Southern District of New York is issuing its guidelines and, you know, they're going to take the temperature of every person who comes to court every day uh, from the judge, you know, to every participant. Uh, and if you're running a temperature, then, you know, you're not going to get into that courtroom. Um, <clears throat> our, some courts are going to require um, testing uh, so that we know that, um, that, the participants in the in the courtroom, you know, haven't been sick uh, recently or aren't sick right now. Uh, there may be a necessity for putting up plexiglass um, partitions. Uh, there may be a need to put um, markings on the floor the way they have at certain supermarkets, et cetera, so that people know that they're keeping the distance. Um, we're going to have to figure out a way to try cases, though. And in trying cases, we're also going to have to find a way to uh, ensure that we're not exposing one another to risk uh, un unduly. Uh, and I, I think all of those are going to play into, uh, in into this. Um, uh, as I wanted to mention the rules. 
um, everyone should go and take a close look at Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 43A, which is made applicable by Rule 9017. Uh, 43A uh, governs um, uh, the uh, attendance at a trial on a remote basis. Uh, so telephonically or on a video remote basis. And it really just requires two things, that there are compelling circumstances that dictate it. Um, and, and I'll tell you right now, there have never been more compelling circumstances than we have right now. So that part of the rule is going to be met. Um, and, uh, uh, and secondly, that there are appropriate safeguards taken by the court to ensure a fair trial. So, um, you know, part of what people are going to worry about um, under uh, uh, with uh, having a witness appear remotely is, you know, is someone going to be, you know, holding up the answers to the questions? Is there going to be someone across the room, you know, who's saying, you know, enough, stop talking, um, where you can't see those things? Um, and uh, we're going to have to rely on trust to some extent. Um, uh, we're not going to be able to have them go to a, a remote courthouse. Uh, and so uh, we're going to have to come up with an approach um, that makes them, puts them in a position that where the first question might be from the judge about, you know, who's president in the, in the room with you. And other than a technician, um, that's probably not going to be something that we're going to allow <coughs> uh, to, to, to occur. Um, uh, rule, uh, Federal Rule of Evidence 611 also comes into play, uh, and uh, I've cited this a number of times in my, in, in court. Um, 611 is the thing that gives the judge the ability to control the taking of evidence, the mode and method um, of, uh, and the order and the means of taking testimony. It's a very broad uh, allowance uh, to, to the court. Um, and uh, the uh, uh, clearly, uh, you know, we exercise that kind of control, but our start, my start is always get everybody to agree to it. So I'm going to ask you to agree um, to whatever the format is uh, and the order in which we're going to be presenting things and the way we're going to conduct things like cross, uh, I'm going to ask you to agree. And in fact, I'm probably going to ask you to agree with each other and 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 submit a, a proposal um, as to how you would like to run the trial. Um, failing that, you know, then uh, under uh, Civil Procedure Rule 43 um, and uh, under 611 of the Rules of Evidence, uh, then I'll have to make some rulings if that uh, becomes necessary. Um, we have, you know, look, we're pretty flexible in our practice area. Um, so we, I think more than other courts have allowed the use of affidavits for direct, that probably is going to become, you know, even more, uh, the proper approach or the approach that we would encourage, um, so that it limits the uh, amount of time that someone would need to be, uh, uh, would need to be on the stand at all. Um, I know we're running out of time and I, but I do want to, I want to, I want to mention, um, exhibits. Uh, exhibits are going to create a real challenge for us, obviously. Um, now, you know, if, if um, counsel, uh, you know, my, my pretrial order, I'm sure everybody's pretrial order, we looked at these together a few years ago, uh, you know, we require these doc that they, that 
that the documents be submitted in binders, pre-marked, um, set aside those that are not agreed to and uh, present them to us with a number of different copies, you know, for the participants at the trial. That's going to become even more important um, uh, as we, uh, as we uh, move forward. The real challenge is going to be um, impeachment documents. You know, so how are you going to manage um, to, uh, uh, how are you going to manage, um, uh, you know that you, you've got a document that you might want to impeach a, wit a witness with, and you'd rather not give it to them in advance. You're not even sure it's going to be necessary. I understand that. One approach that certain courts are taking, and I'm inclined to do this, is if the witness is remote, the impeaching lawyer, the, the cross-examiner, can supply that witness and his uh, or her counsel with um, a sealed envelope with potential impeachment documents in it. Um, and and it would have to be an agreement that that would not be opened uh, unless it's directed to be open at the hearing itself. Now, again, trust would have to come into play. Um, there is one other way to do that, and it's um, present a thumb drive, which is password protected, and the witness would have that thumb drive, and you wouldn't give them the password to look at a document unless you're gonna use it. Um, so I'm not gonna try to get into the technology of how that would all work, but I don't know that it's that difficult, really. All they would need is some kind of a platform so they could plug it in uh, and, and, and go with it. Um, so, uh, uh, so that's that's about what I want to say. You know, it, it's it's coming attractions. I I would hope that by the end of June and maybe into July, you were going to be in a position to have trials. Uh, otherwise, I'm afraid that when we hit the fall, we're going to be if we're backed up with a whole bunch of trials. It's going to be very very difficult because of the volume of work that's going to come our way. The really good news is you're bankruptcy lawyers. It's a really good time. And we haven't been able to say that for a few years. So it's a great time to be a bankruptcy lawyer. Um, and, uh, you know, I, my last semester I taught at Suffolk um, and I, I did the upper division uh, bankruptcy class. And I usually, I was getting 20 students. Um, we had five. I think now if I had them re-enroll, I think I'd have 25, you know, so uh, we're going to be busy. Happy to take any questions or comments uh, from uh, Judges uh, Panos and Boswick. Well, I just had an observation that um, I, I might be receptive during a video trial. Um, if something comes up and someone wants to show somebody a paragraph, um, if they wanted to use a share screen function and you know pop a document in front of them, it becomes more difficult with bigger documents, obviously. Uh, but we have those same issues um, if someone's using our electronic presentation uh, equipment in the courtroom. If they're not working from a laptop and they're working page to page with the projector, they have that same issue of how do you, how do you get to the right place. But uh, I would be receptive to that. And I think lawyers are pretty creative um, and better now with um, evidence in electronic form since you know, we all encourage the use of electronic evidence. Uh, the other thing I think that's interesting, um, and I know Judge Bailey that you follow this closely, is some of the discussions among judges on national level um, of 
how, how do you set up the camera for the witness? You know, you want to be sufficiently close where you can see the witness and their expression. You want the camera angle to show enough of the body to make sure they're not looking at a, an iPhone with text from their lawyers. And so I've seen some suggestions that for a witness to appear, um, they have one that's focused on their upper body um, and a second camera from a phone or something that's from behind them projecting out that shows what they see. Um, and, you know, also, and I think judges are trying different things. I mean, I know that um, collectively we have looked at um, at least five or six forms of order uh, directing the procedures in video trials around the country. And everyone was a little different and they, they're evolving, they're building on each other. And as experience uh, goes forward, um, you know, they'll, they'll build, I think we all hope we don't have to use them because we're hoping that we can get back into court and do trials in person. Um, and I always remember Judge Feeney telling the story of, uh, of taking a witness from somewhere across, the, uh, somewhere in the United States, um, but who was unwilling to come to the, to the courthouse. And uh, it was by video. And during the middle of their testimony, they pulled a bag out and opened up and started eating their lunch while they were testifying. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's the Wild West. And, uh, and we're going to see a lot of, uh, of interesting things if we, if we do video trials. And I think that, you know, if this continues and the public health situation remains as it is, more and more attorneys are going to be willing to, you know, voluntarily do their one-day trials, uh, two-day trials um, by video. Harder with the larger trials, but not impossible. I think what you're going to, I think that's uh, what I would expect to evolve. Similar to the telephonic hearings, um, I think we've seen those progress and get refined as people become more comfortable using them. Um, I think the same is true with video trials that is true with a lot of other businesses, which is, you know, um, that necessity is the mother of invention. Um, we're seeing um, businesses rethink their models as to what they do and do things that, you know, maybe video trials would have taken, you know, five or six years before we considered one because we didn't have to and evolve it. I think when we're in a situation where we have to, we start thinking more creatively um, and I also um, have great confidence in uh, the bar. As, as we've said before, we've had a good working relationship between the bench and bar in the bankruptcy field and the, the bankruptcy community across the country. And so the benefit of all of that learning, um, it'll be interesting a year from now to hear what the stories are about the video trials. And we'll have a few where people have eaten their lunch. And then we'll have others where people say, yeah, it went a lot more smoother. And I think you'll see, as Judge Piano said, you'll see more and more people, once they've seen what we can do, and once we've figured out some of the basics, much more willing to do so. So al along those lines, um, I think, the questions that we received in advance of the program, and I've been kind of watching some questions as they've come in, and I as they've come in, and I think we've addressed a lot of the issues relating to COVID that um, 
that have been asked. The one question that was asked, and it was part of uh, the survey question, and it was a, the, the subject of a couple of questions that came in before, were does, does the court think that the court would be more receptive to telephonic hearings going forward? Um, and so following up on what you've said, Judge Boswick, you know, now that, that more of us have had the experience of telephonic hearing, hearings. And I think one of the questions specifically referenced the letter that went out from Judge Kantz, who said, you know, court is not going to be the same going forward. We realized before this crisis that we were going to do things differently to make uh, litigation more efficient and, you know, move forward. You know, in light of that, um, you know, do, does anyone want to share any thoughts? And I guess I'll put myself on the spot first. Um, and for me, I think it's a little easier because I was surprised to learn as we were gearing up um, as a court and having judges meetings about conducting hearings um, by telephone and how to organize them and make sure they go smoothly. Um, I asked the question, you know, because we do a fair amount of telephonic hearings in my session, you know, what was the percentage of telephonic hearings before the crisis that we did? And I was quite surprised to hear that we were doing almost more than 50% of our hearings by telephone. Um, and that's, that's a function, that, that's not time in court, that's matters. So, you know, you know that in every session there are a number of matters where there's just a two minute check-in or the court has a couple of questions that need to be answered. And so, you know, we um, in chambers, two days before our hearing list go through, and determine whether anything can be converted to telephonic. And we do that fairly aggressively and regularly. Um, and part of that's a function of uh, being in Worcester. Part of it's a function, um, you know, doing a lot of telephonic hearings and, and even video hearings um, of, you know, my Boston cases that need a hearing when I'm not in Boston, you know, I'm willing to, to do, I'm more receptive to do those by telephone or by video. Um, and so I, I'm not sure that you know, my, my view on that has been that for those matters, if we can save, it's hard enough being a lawyer, if we can save the lawyer, the travel time and the client, the money to pay, um, and it's not going to impair me in conducting the hearing, or if I don't believe that it would be good to get everybody together in the hallway for a little bit to try and work out a lot of issues in the case, then, you know, I have an inclination to have uh, telephonic hearings, and that's just been reinforced by this experience. Um, and I don't know if, if anybody else has any thoughts on that, but uh, you're welcome to give them if you do. Um, I think that for for me, I was the, I would always allow um, folks to call in if they requested it, but oftentimes it would be you know one person in the courtroom. It's one person at a distance. I think this it has been an opportunity to realize, as you indicated, Judge Panos, that there are, there are instances where the telephonic works just as well. But there are other instances where I would still want folks in the courtroom, um, larger sessions, and maybe, maybe it is rethinking how we handle, for example, chapter 13s. There's a bulk of them that do turn out to be fairly routine, could be handled telephonically, yet at the same time, there are others where that advantage of being in the courtroom is important. There are some hearings where 
I leave it on because I have something that it, the only way I can ask the question is to leave the hearing on. Uh, and as you point out, Judge Panos, that you know, for lawyers to have to come to court for that, um, for one or two questions from the judge or clarifications or a straightforward approach, um, you know, maybe it is just as efficient and I am mindful of cost and expense for practitioners. So I think that um, it will give me an opportunity to rethink whether it, to view the telephonic hearing as much a tool as the hearing itself and when it's appropriate and when it's not. Um, Judge Panos, can I, um, there's some really good questions up here. Do you mind if I, I know we've run in short, but can I rattle off a couple Q's sure. and A's? There's some really good ones. Um, uh, one is a very practical one, and I'm even going to say who it is. Uh, so Rick Levine asks, um, if a lawyer wants to observe a hearing, arrives late, uh, you know, telephonically, do you have to interrupt and announce himself? Um, and, you know, in court practice, that wouldn't happen. And I have so far done that um, because uh, we're not certain that it isn't on another hearing and somebody's in the wrong place at the wrong time or something. Um, but um, I'm, I may reconsider that because it has troubled me a little bit that people can't just pop in and listen. Um, that's a very good question. <clears throat> and, and, yeah, uh, I, so, I haven't stopped a yeah. hearing um, to ask people to announce themselves during a hearing. If someone comes in after the hearing started and they beep in, um, you know, we see them on our computer screen. If they are known to the court, if it's a number that's known to the court, their name pops up. If they're not known to the court and they're just observing, I haven't interfered with arguments or anything to stop and say, okay, who just signed on. If there's a break in um, between hearings, um, my courtroom deputy will typically try and assign a name to the various, you know, anonymous names and say, you know, um, someone, someone came in with the, the numbers, uh, the last four digits, you know, one, two, three, four. Um, can you identify yourself, please? And obviously they're welcome to be there. Um, but if they're making noise or something, we have a way of of shutting them down or talking to them. I, I agree with that. That's, that's been my experience too. And I, I think if somebody came in in the middle of a hearing, I wouldn't pay attention to it. Somebody logs on early and I've had that happen um, where uh, other attorneys have been logged on and said, told my courtroom deputy, they just wanted to listen in. And that, you know, if for every hearing we ask who's there, and then we give an opportunity, we go through the, the list, moving uh, opponent, is there anybody else? If they don't speak, then we don't, we don't hear from them. So, um, but we do, it is, it is different because you do, um, so that the staff can have the names and information if they are speaking. And sometimes they don't know that unless they ask the question. Um. I know we're not holding you from the open bar, which is normally what we say right now, but Jeff Sternklar asks, um, do we anticipate uh, that our hearings will morph sort of from telephonic to video conferencing apps like this one? And uh, the answer to that is um, you should ask for that if you would like it. And secondly, 
I do think that would be good just for hearings, you know, not for regular hearings, not uh, evidentiary hearings, because I do think that this format is better than telephonic. Um, uh, now, in a, in a busy chapter 13 session, that's not going to be possible. But if, if you have what's going to be a long hearing, uh, a complicated matter, um, that could be a 13, by the way, but something that's going to take a while, um, I would be very much inclined to uh, use a uh, video conferencing app. Yeah, um, I have the same approach. It, it really is up. It's up to the parties. Um, for most hearings, um, it, you know, it's not particularly useful for me to see the lawyers. You know, the lawyers have submitted the papers. I've read them. Um, they're making their arguments. They're answering their qu the questions. Um, I don't necessarily need to see their faces, even though it's maybe a little bit better for visual cues of when I want to ask a question or something like that. For the most part, I'm fine. But if it were a very complicated summary judgment uh, argument and people wanted to use share screen to highlight certain portions of something and they asked, I would you know, not have any hesitation to do it. It's only technically if we can accomplish it, but if we can, I think it's better. Jen, you want to I, say? I think that's, I, I was going to say, it's like, it's like the other aspects. I think that, um, I also think that's, that's one of the places where the technology has advances, you know. I agree. Each, one of the things we are looking at, and we may have said, it, we look closely at the various different platforms, what works, what doesn't, what has risks. Um, we are also mindful of what charges, um, are for the participants, it, and it may vary depending on the case. Um, a large, uh, even a mid-sized chapter 11, you might be looking at a different platform than chapter 13s um, in terms of what you, you know, what the parties are able to bear and bring to the table. Um, so. I'm glad call if asked this. Um, can, would you give an attorney a moment to text a client or mute for a moment to talk with a client um, in a in the that is one of the problems with a with a, a where the witnesses appearing um, on a video or even telephonically I guess uh, where you know a, an issue of attorney-client privilege or something might come up and you have to have that facility you have to have an ability for the lawyer to talk with the client um, not about the substance of the testimony that doesn't I don't allow that even in the courtroom but um, about, uh, about other issues, you know, maybe they just want to ask them if you need a break. So you have to be able to let the lawyer communicate with the client offline. Um, and that would be important. I see Andrew Troop asked a question about yep. tentative rulings um, and references the practice in California. Uh, some who have appeared before me know that uh, I have a, practice in some cases of um, using a, a different form of tentative ruling. In the California courts, both federal and state, frequently the day before um, a hearing, rulings will come out, tentative rulings, and the parties know which way the judge is leaning and can argue against that. Um, and very often, and I find that this is a way to control complicated telephonic hearings as much as in-person hearings, um, I'll come on the bench and I will give an indication of what I think the material facts are 
and how the laws applied to that, those facts and, you know, where I think I would be going. So I would tend to give a, a tentative ruling in some cases um, and then allow the lawyers to argue against that. And in certain cases, um, I have actually issued written tentative rulings on the docket um, and, and forms of tentative orders so that, you know, these are on very complicated matters where there's a lot going on. Um, and, you know, so the lawyers could come in and help wordsmith the order or argue about, you know, certain things and we could be more efficient. Um, you know, I felt both ways about, about that when involved in California cases. Um, I thought it was great to be able to focus argument um, and, but sometimes I felt like, um, you know, I, that the judge was not going to be receptive to arguments. I was concerned about that. Um, and so whenever I use a tentative ruling mechanism, whether it's verbal or, uh, on the docket, um, I, you know, emphasize that, you know, this is just a preliminary read and, uh, that I'm receptive to being told where I'm wrong on the facts or the law. Um, yeah, Andrew has tried to convince me of that one before. Uh, I and I dealt with it in California as well, um, not in bankruptcy court, but in federal court and state court. And um, I, I feel the same way as Judge Panos. I I can I can see the the upside uh, to it because it does focus the parties. Um, and uh, uh, but uh, I also have felt that it sometimes I felt that maybe the judge was locked into a decision before having uh, the benefit of oral argument, which I think is, is, is really helpful. And this is another good reason why if you have a deal, make sure someone knows about it. <laughs> because if a judge is going to come out on the bench and give you a tentative ruling to focus the hearing and you have a deal and that's premised on not knowing which way the judge is leaning, um, it's a good idea to either get to the clerk before the hearing starts uh, or announce when you announce your name that, uh, that you'd like to, uh, announce to the court that you have uh, a deal or you've narrowed the issues. There are a lot of great questions up here. Like we could go on, we really could, but I'm not sure we can. So, right. I think we are about 10 minutes over our time. Yeah. Uh, Tom Raftery, my former boss also asks, aren't you going to refer everything to mediation? You know why he asked that? Yeah, I know why he asked that. <laughs> <laughs> He's a mediator. <laughs> All right. Backing. Thank you so much, judges. That was really nice, really great. Um, so Don, I'm gonna ask you to get back online so you could tell us more about this uh, COVID-19 standing committee. Great, Megan, thanks so much. Uh, so um, last month, the Boston Bar Association, the um, bankruptcy section, uh, formed a standing committee to assess the impact of COVID-19 on bankruptcy practice to proactively monitor the anticipated surge in consumer bankruptcy cases in response to the COVID-19 crisis and to assist with the expected increase in demand for pro bono services for consumer debtors. Uh, the committee meets weekly uh, and has representatives from all parts of the Commonwealth and the work of the committee is currently focused on three items. Uh, first, we're reviewing the bankruptcy section's current pro, bon uh, pro bono protocols uh, and adapting them to COVID-19 situations. 
And we're also working on a program to assemble a panel of experts to discuss ethical issues arising from the COVID-19 crisis and also best practices for drafting law office disaster plans. That effort is being led primarily by Frank Morrissey and Jacob Simon. The second thing the committee is focusing on now is preparing educational programs to update attorneys on recent changes to the bankruptcy code and rules, as well as rev uh, relevant state laws and regulations in response to COVID-19. Uh, the third uh, item that we're focusing on is providing, uh, putting together and providing training modules for attorneys entering the field who are interested in volunteering to take pro bono consumer bankruptcy cases, establishing a strong list of mentors so that lawyers new to the bankruptcy practice can be paired with an experienced practitioner for support and guidance. Also, bankruptcy software will be provided free of charge for use when preparing and filing pro bono cases. Uh, in addition to training sessions on law and practice, we expect to include a training module also on the increasingly important role of technology and how to set up and manage the systems necessary for an effective virtual bankruptcy practice. And those efforts are being primarily led by Kate Cruikshank, Kate Nicholson, and Amy Lippman. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about the committee's work and participating in its efforts, please contact me. Uh, the committee will also be publishing updates on its work on the bankruptcy section's blog. Uh, so if you're not presently registered to receive blog posts, uh, please register as soon as you can so you can keep up to date, learn about what we're doing and how you can participate. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks, Don. Um, Kate, you wanna tell us a little bit about the next webinar for, uh, for the bankruptcy section before we conclude? Getting on? Yes. Okay. Can you see me? Yes. Okay, there we go. So uh, the BBA is working on putting together some additional programs that help us address the times that we're in. Um, we have, we're putting on a, going to be putting on a webinar in the next three to four weeks in which we, it, it, we focus on the CARES Act and its impact in, on bankruptcy. Um, we're hopeful that some of the judges will be able to join us when we put this on. Uh, we're working on the details of that. Um, we're gonna have practitioners that will be presenting on the issues and we're looking at focusing on changes to the Chapter 13 law as a result of CARES um, and also focus on foreclosures and evictions, uh, the moratorium in Massachusetts and its impact on Chapter 13 plans and how lenders are handling uh, debtors' requests to, uh, to refi or roll over on uh, payments that they're not able to make due to COVID. Uh, we're also looking at focusing on the new change to small business and uh, the increased debt limit. And we expect that as Judge Pan all the judges have said, we're gonna get busy. And we think that we would wanna have a round table on, on new case law that deals about that. And uh, we're gonna get the US trustee involved. And in addition, we're gonna put on a brown bag with the US trustee and hopefully a couple of chapter seven trustees to talk about the telephonic 341s and deal with some questions that I know practitioners have about the procedures and not being present with their client. 
Um, and it, again, as all the judges have said, we expect that we have busy times ahead and the BBA wants to take your ideas for additional programming that we need to be putting on as a result of all the different changes in the laws. And so we welcome you to email Mackin and I with additional ideas so that we can all kind of work together and be supportive of each other as we get, get through this crisis. Thanks, Kate. Uh, before we conclude uh, the webinar, I mean, every year at the annual Bench Mids Bar, that's when we usually formally recognize the outgoing co-chair uh, for the bankruptcy section. So since we can't do this this year, we can't really meet in person, but I wanted to still take the chance to say thank you on behalf of the bankruptcy section to Christine Devine from Miracle Connell. Uh, we wanted to thank her for all her time as a co-chair for the past two years and also her leadership, uh, which we all benefited from greatly. Uh, Christine, thank you very much from the, uh, from the bankruptcy section and we have her here. Thank you. Um, thank you, Mackin. Uh, I just want to say a few thank yous, first of all, um, to the judges. Um, thank you all year uh, for your support of all the BBA programs. Um, it's invaluable to the services and programming that we provide to the section. Um, and thank you for being flexible with our uh, first ever virtual Bench Meets Bar program. Um, I also want to thank Mackin, who's been a wonderful co-chair. Um, I have such confidence in her continuing on forward um, with what we've done over the last few years. Um, and finally, I want to welcome Kate Cruikshank. Uh, you've heard her, you've seen her, you've heard her name a few times in some of the initiatives that are ongoing right now. And that's because uh, her contributions have been tireless. Um, so thank you all. Um, and I hope to see everyone soon. Thanks, Christine. So one last thank you, it's to, for the BBA and its staff. Uh, we definitely would not have been able to do this without the BBA staff. I mean, including training us on the Zoom training and all that stuff. So thank you very much for the BBA and the staff. And also to all the bankruptcy judges and, and Molly for taking the time to do this. Uh, it's much appreciated as usual. Um, anything else, Judge Panos, or should we conclude? No, there's, there's nothing on my end. Um, thank you very much for giving us this opportunity. And uh, I hope everyone remains healthy and sane during this, uh, during this crisis and hope to see you all in person as soon as possible. Thanks, you. Thank you. Have a good evening, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye, everyone.